Will you? Sweet. Did you hear her little voice recording in progress? Sounds like a robot. It's kind of creepy, but fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, cool. Okay. All right. Hey everyone, today I am lucky enough to be joined by Russell Howard, who is actually behind many of the themes and scores of your favorite TV shows, including some of my favorites, Duck Dynasty, Juliana and Bill, The Price is Right, and Vanderpump Rules. Russell won the 2017 and 2019 Ace Cap Award for the most performed themes in Underscore, which is given to the composer who has the most placements on TV and film. So it seems as if I can go on and on, but I wanted to welcome Russell. Russell, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So um, I wanted to talk today about obviously your amazing career and all the cool things that you're doing now. But also, I know that you're proudly coming up on your 20 years of sobriety, which is such a huge deal. So I wanted to talk about also that amazing accomplishment, if you're cool with that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, how you got into the music industry, what you currently do? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it was one of those situations where um, my oldest brother was always a little bit ahead of the curve in music. He was always discovering bands before they were like popping off, before they were famous. Like he saw R.E.M. play with like 20 people in the crowd. You know, Kurt Cobain slept on his floor in Athens, Georgia. Like, yeah, yeah. What a story. Yeah, so George, his name is George. He was always just pushing the envelope in that. So at a young age, he was always exposing me to bands like The Cure, you know, just like, you know, and I was a huge fan of Robert Smith, still am. But he also had this ability to cross genres. So he was like familiar with Public Enemy and NWA and KRS-One and like Rakim and also at, at, at a very, very young age, I looked up to my brother. I was being exposed to this to different sides of music. And so um, what happened was I just became really, really fascinated with the sounds that I was hearing and the audacity and the lyrics and the expression and the rebellion and the power that, you know, that I would hear in these songs. And I fell in love with this group called Public Enemy. I was 10 or 11 years old. And I literally would be able to quote word for word their songs and stuff. And I'm this white kid in the suburbs, and just <laughs> you know, kind of living this duality of life because I'm in the suburbs, but I'm working for my dad down in the center city of Philadelphia, and I'm kind of going to places that I shouldn't go. And so there was always like a little bit of this, you know, I pushed the envelope, uh, a little bit of rebellious factor in, in in me. And so the music correlated with that and worked with that. So. To make a long story short, what happened was it became mine. You know, it, mm. was, it was my thing. George, yeah. George had his own thing. My middle brother, John, he's very athletic. I was athletic too, but he was to another level. This music became mine. So I started writing raps. I've always been like a writer and a communicator since I was young. I started writing raps when I'd walk to the bus stop, you know, or just when I'd deliver messages for my dad, you know, or walking around the city or on the train. And it became like putting puzzles together in my head. So then quickly what happened was I was like, well, I, I want to, I want to lay down songs. So I need, I need music. So I convinced my parents to buy me like a record, uh, record player. They had no idea, but they didn't care because I think they were just grateful that their son was like home. Like and into something. something. Yeah. Yeah. Like, correct. Right. So, so, you know, shortly I figured out that two turntables and a mixture was not what I needed. Um, and one of my favorite producers, the RZA spoke about this certain kind of 
from Wu-Tang spoke about this certain kind of keyboard that he, you know, like the very driven, obsessed kid that I was, I went down in Philadelphia. I found the store that had it. You know, I convinced my father to work it off, you know, and I, that was really my first sampler and I had no idea how to make music, nothing. No, I just, but I was determined and I had that youth naivety where I was like, I'm just going to do, I can do this, right? There wasn't yeah. a the world hadn't beaten me confidence up enough, right you know what i mean so yeah. uh yes yes and and so i started and um i fell in love with it the world around me stopped my inner world stopped you know the 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 noise in my home stopped and it became my own little safe space you know so um it was it was a weird situation because this was like before the Eminem, I'm not saying that Eminem wasn't doing his whole thing at this time, but this was mm -hmm. before really the mass introduction of like, you know, white kids making music. I mean, there was yeah. third bass and stuff like that, but, but, um, and so it wasn't really understood and with amongst my peers in my school and stuff like that. And, and that, that was fine with me because I always liked pushing the envelope a little bit, but so I, um, I got discovered young, you know, and at 14, I was discovered by um, a very famous uh, uh, record company that, you know, that signed, you know, had the, the Fugees and Lauren Hill and Cypress Hill. And I was discovered by the owner's wife, you know, and she wanted to manage me. And so I can keep on going, but I want to allow you to ask questions and stuff. But that was really the, yeah. the, 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 the origin and the conception of how this all started. No, that's cool. And you can find something that's just you and unique. And I love how you say it's a safe space because, I mean, I know for me, I love... I love writing and that's, that's a huge thing. And it's, it's some creative outlet. And I find, mm -hmm. I mean, for, for you, do you find, you know, still with like tough days or whatever might be going on, writing is therapeutic for you? Absolutely. I think, you know, it's funny. I, I, I have my, so I have my studio now in, in my back house and it's like when I do feel that, kind of existentialism that I've always struggled with since a kid, you know, it's, yeah. there's a, it's, there's a feeling of apathy almost where, where it's like, it's a weird, I'm, I'm getting very vulnerable here and that's fine. Cause I believe in that, but no matter what I've accomplished, no matter what I have going on, there's also this side of me that's always been like right here mm. that if I allow it power, it can basically place a negative perception on whatever I want to do that day, right? Yeah. Even no, I get it. I get and it. I, and I need and I want to share this because I think a lot of people feel it, but they hide it. And I think especially with artists too. So the irony about that is I don't what I've learned is that I can't think my way out of those feelings. And I think that's tricky. And I did for many years because it feels like a thought process. Oh, yeah. I'm not feeling like doing music. I don't feel like doing anything. I don't even really want to get out of bed. And so then the natural response would be, okay, I just got to figure this out. I'm just going to think about something positive. But what I've learned is that actually perpetuates the feeling. And the only thing that can really get me out of that is action. So the minute I take action and steps, literally steps to my studio, sit down in my chair, load up some sounds, right? Start writing music or writing lyrics or whatever. The action in that shifts my thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, and for that, sure. It's like a perspective. Is, it's, it's you're showing your body like it's okay. And that's, I think that's a really good and healthy technique. And I, I love how you're being honest about that because it's very easy to, you know, go on social media or whatever it may be nowadays. Right. And just pretend like yeah. oh, I'm living my best life, but it can help a lot of people. I know people being honest helps me 
know that, hey, sometimes I don't feel like getting out of bed and that's, you know, okay. But if you kind of force yourself to do it and you continue doing the things that you love, it'll hopefully get you in a better mindset. A hundred percent. And, and, and I'm so grateful to be able to say that because I, I literally, you know, I, I have that saying, it's like, it's not mine. I've picked it up from someone else, but we action our way into right thinking. Mm. And it's just, even with, with a lot of time, I can forget, I can forget. And then I'm like, Oh wait, Oh yeah, yeah. That's right. Do the next right indicated step. I love that. Do the next. Yeah. Yeah. Thank no, you. I think that that's perfect. And I, and I love that. And, and speaking about, I mean, that's cool that you have a studio in your house and Obviously, you've been able to do so many cool things in your career, and this is probably going to be very tough. What is your favorite project or person that you've got to work with in your career? And what made you um, Definitely Jay-Z. <laughs> I mean, I, I saw that. Yeah, I was like, yeah. you work with Jay-Z, man. So tell, tell yeah. us about that. That would be really cool to hear. Uh, that was literally, I feel like, God doing for me what I could not do for myself. It was a divine intervention i feel like yeah. i was working on the, the kobe bryant album for about a year and a half and it was an amazing beautiful experience but the album actually never came out and so i swear i just i feel like a lot of this my career has been grace now don't please don't get twisted i've definitely put in thousands and thousands of hours but anyway what happened was um yeah jay-z wanted to come and and see Kobe, this new basketball player. And so um, in comes Mr. Sean Carter, you know, and into the studio that, you know, I was I was in there working with Kobe and a whole group and et cetera. And, and um, it's, it's crazy. I just made some tracks like the night before or maybe two nights before where I was like, you know, I, I think this would really fit Jay. Like I, I just hear him on this. And, and he comes in and... Um, there was a guy that I'm, I'm actually still in business with, which is amazing. 20 years later, it's come back full circle. His name was Lenny, Lenny Nicholson. And he was overseeing the project, the Kobe project. And he had a relationship with Jay-Z enough to say, Hey Jay, like you should listen to this kid's beats. And so I was put on the spot, you know, and wow. I played, yeah, I know it was crazy. He was, you know, and, and, and Jay, he was like literally standing right next to me. And this was my idol. This is someone I could quote word for word. This is some, it's like, this guy yeah. was bigger than life to me. And so that, that happened and it was very smooth. It was just like, you know, he, he heard a track, you know, he stepped back, he started mouthing, he started writing to it in his head. He was like, okay, put that on a CD for me. I put it, this is back in the CD days. I put it on a CD. Wow. Yeah. They left, you know, he let And then it's like within a week I was flown to New York and now it's just, and then he picked another track and it's just, it's a wild story that I've told a lot, but it's just, you know, it was, I'll just, it was a time where I'll never forget opening up that album and those credits and seeing my name on those credits. And, oh, yeah. um, yeah, so it definitely changed my life quickly, quickly. So, yeah, no, that, that's amazing. Obviously you worked hard and I'm sure I believe in, you know, divine intervention and something bigger, but you obviously deserved it and you're working on the night before. So everything, I, I'm a huge believer in everything happens for a reason, but the other thing that I wanted to chat about was, I know there's obviously all these the great things, um, but something that I love how open you are is that you're gonna be coming up on your 20th year of sobriety. Um, yep. And I know uh, that's a topic that's really important to me, starting this nonprofit in honor of my best friend. Um, what has your recovery journey been like? I know it must not be easy. I know for every single person, we're all humans, but especially being in an industry where it's a lot of flashy and you know potential booze and drugs, how has your recovery journey, how did that start and kind of where you're at now, if you can talk us through that process? Yeah, for sure. I, um, I feel like I had parts of alcoholism and addiction 
uh, personality wise uh, before I ever took took a drink or a drug. Mm. I think <clears throat> I think society and it's not society's fault, but I think the the message of recovery is all often convoluted or watered down and missed. And I think a lot of addiction is focused on the symptoms, the mm. drug use, the alcohol use, the sex, the gambling, the shopping, whatever. Yeah. And I, I and th those things are literally their symptoms, right? Symptoms right. of what? Symptoms of a threefold disease, which is mind, physical and spiritual. Um, it gets tricky because the disease centers in the mind, but that's the part that people don't quite understand. There's a lot of noise going around. Well, it's just from unprocessed trauma. It's from this and maybe, maybe so. But I do know that there are definitive traits, you know, of addicts that I can spot, you know, uh, that I had in myself before I ever took a drink. So um, the absolute inability to accept the word no. Um, I'm always in a hurry nowhere to go. Um, a high level of easily being frustrated quickly. A sense of feeling alone or unique, even when surrounded by loved ones. Mm. Um, a, 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 a complete obsession with a destination that's going to fix me. Yeah, um, interesting. You know, you know, so as I'm, you know, a restlessness or an angst that no human can ease. And as I'm saying these things, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if she's literally thinking about her friend, right? And, 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 and feeling like, okay, I, I kind of understand this. Yeah. Because if you take, you know, all of this, this recipe that I just de described, you know, it's this commonality amongst addicts that I had. And then what happens is, and what happened for me is like any good addict, we're going to find our peace one way or another, right? right? And so eventually we stumble upon, I stumble upon a drink or weed or GHB or ecstasy or cocaine or whatever it is, right? And right. all of that internal stuff I just described stops, Yeah, stops, right? Or it, we get elevated to a level where we don't care about it. We're given a power greater than that stuff that's going on inside of us, right? And so then what happens for an addict with the stuff going on is, whereas a person that may not have that predatory stuff going on within them, they might try a drug or a drink and they'd be like, that's fun, but you know what? That was a little too much or I came down really hard. I think I'm going to chill. An addict goes, ha, 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 ha. got it, found it. Right. This is mine. Found my this antidote. is my solution. Yeah. Correct. Found my antidote, right? Found my power, found my superhero, superpower. And so that then become, begins this toxic relationship that no one can really understand unless they're living it with themselves. And so I'm saying that to you like compassionately because yeah. I, 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 I'm no, not I trying to that. cross no, off. No, no. I know you probably tried your it. absolute best, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, no, for sure. No, so anyways, I, I understand it's tough. So that's, so that was like really what happened for me at a very young age. And I, it just began this journey of mine where it worked, it works, 
for a long time. The drugs work or we wouldn't do them, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and they and and so I just I just went with it. I just had this like I don't give a damn impulse. That's another thing about addicts. There's an impulsivity that is unlike anything. It's just like the uh, the word fuck it should be tattooed on every addict's heart. It's like that that's our final word. Uh well, let me think about it. Uh fuck it, let's do it, right? And so yeah. so and 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 I just ran with it and I ran with it and I ran with it and so I pushed it to a level where I was going to die. I was literally going to die, you know. And um, I had burned bridges, every bridge in, in, in the business. I was sick. I looked sick. I was getting arrested, car accident. You know, my family was like, what the f- is going on? Like my yeah. best friends were, because prior to this, I was the kid that they bet on. Mm. I had my thing. I was a young prodigy in music. I'm saying that humbly, but it's the truth, right? Right, right, so right. For, for this to take a shift, it was like, how did this kid go? from producing for Jay-Z and all these rappers and Destiny's Child and all this stuff to living in like a tiny little one bed, like in, in a closet, you know yeah. what I mean? Like parent. And, and so that's where drugs and alcohol will, will take us. No doubt. It will make our lives. Well, let me know. That's where addiction will take us. Very right. fa- You, you can be addicted to a person. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and be like very attached to your, why haven't they texted me back? I can't leave the house. You know what I mean? And so right. addiction dependency makes our life very, very, very small. And that's usually an indicator that I want to share that if you feel like someone is struggling with addiction, some an indication is, well, has their life become very, very small and only mm. focused on this, you know? Yeah. And so I got it. I got intervened on by my dad and, and my brothers and, and, um, and I went away. I went away. I was in enough pain that I was like, I need help. I can't stop on my own. And um, that, that started my journey. And I, was, I eventually got sober, sober at 23 years old. And um, Wow, you were still young. You know, it's like baby. you're talking like you were living life. And, you know, you did this for so many years. The fortunate thing, thank God, is you became, started your recovery journey really when you were 23, yes. which is great. Yes, yes. Yeah, 14. For, so... 14 years old is when I started drinking and, and using, got sober at, at, at 20. So that's nine year. I had a nine year run. Wow. Right. So I've, dub, I've doubled my time using with sobriety, which I'm really proud of. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, my, you know, I, I'm, I'm really grateful for that because they say the brain, I think, don't quote me. Here we go. I can hear this line, you know, but the brain still <laughs> forms to like 25. Who knows? Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's the forming. younger, the, the sooner, you know, any addictive case scenario, right. And your brain is still forming. So the longer you have to, you know, potentially give it time to heal and, and give it space to do what it's supposed to do, the better. I agree. And so, you know, and this is where I say I, I, I attribute a lot to grace. It's like the same thing inside of my head that likes to put puzzles together and break down lyrics and music and break down and compose and build actually really came to benefit me with recovery because mm-hmm. as soon as it was shown to me that I had to get to causes and conditions and really discover and study and observe belief systems, attitudes, perceptions, catastrophic views, societal views, (laughs) generational views, fear, all that. Then I went, oh, this is interesting. This is like me breaking down a song. Yeah. I'm gonna study this, I'm gonna go after this. And I, and I, and I did, I fell in love with recovery and I started studying all the different religions and I said, I would read, read the big book and read it again. And I would read the 12 and 12 and, wow. um, and 
Yeah, and I noticed quickly with me, I started to get better quickly by the grace of, of something, which I call God. And the obsession to use or drink was lifted within eight days of when I really, really gave it my all. Um, and then I just went like, I'm going to literally go for this like a hundred percent. And I, and, and for the first five years, I, I was, I was celibate for like a year and a half. I just went to meetings, you know, I went to worked out. I went to meetings. I exercised. I did everything my sponsor told me to do. I developed a relationship with something greater than me. I helped other people. You know, I made music, I acted, but, and I, and I just went for it, went for it. And my life just, it got better Thanks. quickly. And I share this, not to pat myself on the back, but I want to share this because there's hope. There's hope. There's real hope. If, if people will live recovery as a way of life and not just look at it as, oh, well, I stopped drinking and I stopped using, I'm sober. Uh-uh. That's abstinent. That's abstinence. Sobriety, recovery. So it's a way of life. It's a way of know? life. I'm it's sorry, a way of thinking right perspective. No, anyway, I, I love up. it. I, yeah. I, I think it's, no, I, I really appreciate you sharing your story. And I know, you know, that's vulnerable and tough, but like, obviously it'll help so many people. And it's, it's inspiring, right? Cause you know, part of the re the work that I'm doing, it's, it's people thinking that they're in a hole and they just can't get out. And I think it's so important for people to realize, you know, we are the most powerful things, right? And if we set our mind to it, and I love how you said like, you know, after eight days and you were like, I'm going to make this basically, it's sort of like a full-time job. I sort of equated to like, yes. this is my life. This is how I'm going to communicate, work with friends. It's, you know, a whole mind body shift. It, it's not just, as you said, being absent and not without the drug or whatever addictive behavior, it's really putting your all into it. And I think it's so important for people to know, like you can still be successful. You can still have your relationships. And I'm sure, you know, you've mended whatever relationships over the year, mm -hmm. but like you can do it. And I think that message of hope is just as important as being on vulnerable and truthful, how tough that journey is. Cause I'm sure it was tough, but you're at yeah. the place where you are now. And um, no, I, I think that that's really amazing. And I give you such kudos for doing that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, for yeah, sure. The, the amends process. That's something you brought up making amends. That's huge. That's huge. So we have, we have these steps eight and nine, you know, we're in eight, step eight, you make a list um, of all the people that you feel with, with the help of a guide, right? Um, that you feel that you have harmed or done wrong, right? And these steps are in order for a reason, because you actually identify these people in your steps four and five, <laughs> where, and I could break, I could break, I don't want to bore you with the steps. But anyway, no, so eight, you get if you're if you're graced if you're graced and you're willing enough and you get to eight, it's an amazing amazing place. So you write down these people and and it's it's scary because because again, the addict is his his mind is healing slowly, you know, and transforming. But there's still these catastrophic thoughts that are like, oh my gosh, like that person that I robbed or that I stole money yeah. from or da 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 da. They're never going to want to, you know, and, and it creates the worst case scenario. And so, correct, right? Yeah. So that, that's where, you know, it's good to have fellowship and people around you that can kind of share their stories. And they'd be like, no, no, that was not my experience. So then you get to nine, which is nine is actually putting into action the, eight, the list of eight. And, mm. and nine is where we, we, we make direct amends. And, you know, amend actually, it means to change, right? So I think, 
I think a mistake that I made early, early on was thinking that I could say, I'm sorry, <laughs> but <laughs> as an addict, when I was using, I woke up out of a blackout saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Hey, right. I don't know what I did, but are we good? Okay. You know, right. we're good. Okay. So we don't get to use that word anymore. It's more so I show up and I let them know what I did was wrong. Here's how it was wrong. And what can I do? to amend the situation and make it better, mm. right? And I'm here to tell you, it is the most beautiful experience to have those, those experiences. That's, man, that's, that's the good stuff. That's the power right there. Like, you wanna talk about that warmth that we got mm -hmm. when we would take that first hit of Johnny Walker or whatever, like yeah. that warmth comes back, like that naturally, it's beautiful and tears happen. That's back amazing. And yeah. Yes, that's the healing. Cause there's the, the guilt and the shame yeah falls off right and right I, and anyway i could go on and on no i yeah. think i think that that's special and you know i think the the whole problem with addiction right is it, it's an isolating disease right you are mm. alone and i love how you said like the circle gets smaller and that's sort of like a triggering hey something's wrong here but if you can you know use the steps or whatever it may be smart recovery whatever to expand your circle to change and to kind of show up and be there i think that that's amazing and it's tough right and you were mentioning shame and guilt that is a huge part of why people are sort of in this like cycle of yes. using or whatever it may be and that was an amazing tool for you to not feel that shame and feel that guilt and my last right. question for you on on this topic was how is your family, you know, process this? They must be so happy to kind of have you, the real you back. But was there ever a time you, you were in a bad place because you sort of felt their shame and guilt? Because that must not be easy being parents of someone who's suffering from addiction. Yeah, I have a son. I have a, he's, he's, he's just turned three. And um, I swear, I, I really don't think he has this thing. It's amazing. I think he's got a lot of his mother in him, which is so beautiful. So amazing. <laughs> Cause she like adapts, she adapts quickly. She adjusts, she like, yeah. you know, you can't even get her to drink a glass of wine and stuff, but there's just like a piece and it gives the benefit. It's just any, and he has these beautiful traits and I'm just like, Oh man, thank you. Like I am still going to bring him to AA meetings young though, just to expose him to it. But, um, yeah, but, uh, but back to me, um, <laughs> That sounds very alcoholic. Back to me. It's all about me. Alcohol. <laughs> so anyway, I, yeah. So at, I just want to say that at the core of addiction, at the core, core of addiction, and it says this in the book, is a profound self-obsession. Self mm, okay. Yeah. And, 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 and this, is, this is often missed, and it sounds, and it's a hard pill to swallow. And I say this at meetings, and it, dry, and it's, it's, it does not always go over, but it's in the book. I can back it in the book, the big book. It literally says selfishness, self-centeredness that we think is our root of our, our troubles. Now, I had to really unpack those words because my mind is tricky so that the word selfishness or self-centeredness will just hear like, okay, well, like I like to watch the TV shows I like to watch or like I eat, like to eat, but that's not what it yeah. means. What it meant and what it means for me is that there is a possession of a bubble that surrounds me or the addict where 24 seven, the addict's mind thinks about him or herself all day. What can I get to be happy? What can I get to be pleased? What can I get to be self-satisfied? 
fear of the future or looking forward to the future to get me something that I want, regret from the past, can't believe I did that. And it's a constant self-preoccupation. You yeah. can follow me. And if yeah. he, and so I just need to share that. So part of getting sober is to start to, that's why helping others and service is so profound and so powerful because it gets us gets out, you of, out self. of that. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So, so with my parents, um, yes, real deep hurt, extreme, my whole family. And I don't blame them. Um, my dad was just got sick, sick over it. Wouldn't give up, but sick over it. My mom, I remember countless times where I could see the pain in her eyes. You know, who is my son? Who is this? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. My oldest brother, who was always, we had a, you know, a big, big fan, loved me. I loved him. Was just ridiculously angry. Don't blame him. Can't blame him. My yeah, little yeah, brother, yeah. you know, just, yeah. I mean, I, I cut because another thing that happens with addiction, and I want to share this with you because I, I want to, uh, all of the damn focus goes on to the addict as and, and the family then or the best friends and they get sick because it's like because because they're walking on eggshell how's russell going to be today is he yeah, going to show yeah, up yeah. is he going to be late is he going to be up is he going to is he going to is he going to pass out at dinner and you know mom hasn't slept last night dad's out looking for uh, for russell right. and so the whole other family or the friends get completely pushed aside completely lost Right. And that's why it's important to have support group for the support family system. For, I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if you right. give an addict an inch, we're going to take a football field. And so the family and the friends need to have hard boundaries, hard. And so um, my parents had no idea what was going on. And but yes, um, I did make amends to all to my parents and to my brothers and to my friends. But more importantly, living amends. Living on that, yeah. Giving them the giving them the grace to be upset, giving them the grace to forgive, giving them the grace to be, to still be mad, and then showing up. Consistency consistently heals. Consistently has healed our relationship. I mean, it's been, it's been nine years, but like, but even for you know, even it took my oldest brother, I would say, a few, maybe four or five years, till I was like, I'm not buying this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's right? it's scarring. And and I love how you say the support for the family and friends and, and that's specifically what the Albertus Project, my nonprofit sort of tries to do and tackle is it's an isolating disease for that person, but also the family and friends that are preoccupied trying to figure out how to support and they're just sort of kept in the dark. And it's, I would also equate it to like a full time job too. So I think it's really important that we you know, focus on supporting the person who's dealing with their, you know, active addiction or recovery, but also supporting the family and friends of, you know, people who are dealing with yes. that because it's, it's a full-time job and it's just, that isn't talked about enough. I think the, the kind of hell that parents or family or friends can go through, it's, 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 it's tough. So I give parents a lot of kudos and, and family. And I love that you were able to kind of kind of make amends. But um, on this topic, I wanted to finish up with one last question, because we've talked about so many amazing things in your career and your sobriety with it, which I think has been really important in mental health. What is a piece of advice that you would give to someone who might be struggling? Um, and what can they do to kind of be on the right path? Like, I think what you've shown is you know, with grace and hard work, you can do what you want to do and you can get out of that bad place. 
What is the piece of advice that you would give someone who might be struggling right now? With addiction. With addiction. It's such a powerful question and it's a great question. And I struggle, I, 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 I wrestle with this question because I have parents or friends ask me this question a lot. And I wish that a piece of advice could create a surrender or a bottom that is needed that then creates the pain mm. that is needed that then creates the willingness that is needed to pick up the phone or try something different. But I will say that if I could speak to an addict right now or a younger version of myself, I would say, listen, your life is not over and not boring and not blah for the rest of your life without these substances that have become your best friend that are killing you and that are lying to you. So if you could just please give me one meeting, one cup of coffee, one conversation, mm. and let me share some of my own experience about recovery and how I've had some of the most amazing, fun, exhilarating times sober and that my life is better now. And I genuinely have more joy now and more fun now than I ever did when I was using now. And then I'd say to him, now wait, I had some amazing times when I was using, right? right, right. Amazing. But I think the biggest fear for the most part of addicts is how do I live without this thing of mine that I have now associated with everything that I do all day? Right. And, and two, if I don't have this, what's the point of living? Mm. There'll be, there'll be no fun left. There'll be no purpose. There'll be no sa exact satisfaction. And that yeah. goes back to the, the disease thing in here because yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, that's amazing. Well, Russell, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart so much for having this conversation. I know it's not easy, but um, no, you inspire me. I think it's I think it's really amazing what you're doing. Obviously, your career is fantastic. So where can we find you on social media or website? What where can people find more information about you and I'll keep up to date on all the cool things you're doing? Absolutely. I thank you. First of all, thank you for this interview. Thank you. Thank and God you. bless you and and your friends, family and all, all the loved ones. I appreciate um, that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my Instagram is RWH official. Okay. Right? And then my company's uh, website is signaturetracks.com. Awesome. And we have a list of all of our shows. We do, you know, over a thousand shows a year, Amazing. TV shows and movies and commercials and stuff. So those are my two primary places you can find me. I respond to DMs. Um, so if anyone is out there and struggling with addiction or whatnot, um, I literally do make myself available. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're the best. It. Thanks, Russell. Really thank appreciate you. all your time. And thanks so much for being on today and being willing to share. So thank you again. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye.